question we have all no doubt asked ourselves aloud or just quietly hundreds of times is how can I motivate this particular employee? And that's exactly what we're going to talk about in this week's episode. Running a service business can be hard. It is not unusual for business owners in industries like contracting, home repair, auto repair, business-to-business services like janitorial, IT and accounting, and many others to feel overwhelmed by all the priorities facing them at any given time. Between addressing the needs of the customers, managing the employees, figuring out the financials, and getting processes in place, feeling like you're making significant progress on your business journey can be difficult. Welcome to Service Industry Success, hosted by Brian Harding. Each week, Brian will look at real-world strategies for building the business you are dreaming of, while also sharing tactics to get through some of the most frustrating parts of business ownership with a lot more ease. Let's get started. I doubt I'll have to explain this premise in depth very much. We've all experienced this too many times to count. You have an employee who you just can't seem to get on the ball or perform consistently or do the right thing when nobody's looking, or you have an employee who you just wish would improve a little bit or improve in specific areas. Maybe you've promoted an employee to a leadership role and you can't quite get them to change their approach. That's not working when they're working with the team. Um, Maybe you can't get them to adapt to the new priorities they have as a leader, which are different than the ones they had when they were like a revenue-producing employee. No matter what the specific situation you now have an employee that you need to coach up or motivate, but you don't know what will work for this particular person. Most of the time, the conversation you're going to have with an employee will sound something like this, or maybe not for you, but you've certainly heard managers and employees have conversations like this. It could be when, for you as a business owner. You've heard it. You've done it. Uh, certainly as an employee, uh, we've all heard things like this. The manager says something like, You went to the job site unprepared again. Why did you do that? And the employee says something like, yeah, I'm really sorry. I I don't know. I I just forgot. I forgot to get the stuff I needed. And the manager says, this is the second time you've done that this week. Do you know how much you're costing us with this crap? What is going on with you? The employee says, I know, I know. I I don't have a good answer. I just just forgot. I I don't know. It won't happen again, I promise. And the manager says something like, it had better not. I'm getting tired of cleaning up your mess. I'm getting tired of having the same conversation with you over and over and over again. The employee says, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm sorry. And that's it. Conversation over. If we had a dollar for every time we had one of those conversations or we had to endure that in some fashion, listening or participating, um, we would be pretty wealthy. If we don't work with human nature in these situations, we are predictably going to find ourselves in more of these dead-end frustrating as hell conversations than we care to. If we don't speak to what really drives this person, nothing we say is going to resonate in a way that is compelling enough for them to uh, act a certain way or change. What do I mean work with human nature? How do we figure out what drives this person? I'm going to explain all that in just a minute. First, I want to tell you about a client of mine uh, who even prior to COVID had been struggling to hire people for her carpet cleaning business for at least a couple of years. When we changed how she wrote and posted her ads, she hired twice as many people as she was hoping to, and she literally had turned the ad off after only six weeks of running it because she could not hire one more person, and she had doubled the number of people she had hired. So are you trying to hire and just not getting the results you want? Have you almost or completely given up on the idea that you can actually recruit the talent you need to grow your team? 
There are a few things more frustrating than having more work than you can get to and not being able to hire and train more people to make the most out of that demand. Like they say, you got to make hay when the sun shines, right? What if I told you the reason 95% of the ads out there are not working? Because just like we're talking about today, these ads work against human nature, not with it. Once you see for yourself what I'm talking about, you'll never look at hiring ads again. I promise this will change the way you look at everything as it relates to how you go about writing your ads and posting them, and it's likely to work many times better than what you're doing now. So if you want to learn about how to write ads that will really stand out above the noise and actually get people to call you, go to freehiringwebinar.com and get signed up for this free class I'm putting on on March 29th at noon Pacific. Again, freehiringwebinar.com. You'll also get a chance to learn about an opportunity to join my new service industry select coaching program. And as a bonus for attending, you'll get my free autofill ad creator, which will virtually write your job post for you once you answer just a few questions. So if you're ready to finally get those people you need hired, mark your calendars for March 29th at noon Pacific and go to freehiringwebinar.com to sign up. Okay, so you may recall from one of our earlier episodes that one of the core things I believe, which drives nearly everything I talk about, is that people are primarily motivated motivated by meeting their own needs. By and large, people do not make decisions based upon what I want, why I want it, or how urgently I want it. And that last one's really a key one to pay attention to, I think, because we know as, as managers and leaders, sometimes we just ramp up how urgent this is, and uh, we get surprised when that falls on deaf ears. That's not really, uh, it's not really going to work in many cases. So in the example conversation I went over earlier, the one we've all experienced a thousand times, the employee probably really is sorry they screwed up again. But that remorse will subside because they're not standing right in front of you anymore. And the next time they're in that similar situation, they're probably not going to worry about what I think in that moment. Now, I get what some of you are thinking right now, which is they'd better worry if they want to keep their job. They better worry about what I think if they want to keep their job. You know, some version of that. So let's talk about that. Why do they care about keeping their job? They can certainly go get another one especially in today's labor market. There's no shortage of people hiring. I don't know of a single industry which isn't clamoring for people. So even the <clears throat> even the threat of having to look for a different job, is that really a big deal right now? And even if labor markets are not like this one, why does an employee really care about getting fired? Is it really because they're going to miss you? Maybe. I suspect people care about getting fired for a few reasons. One, other people, including their spouse, their friends, their children, their neighbors, etc., might find out. And that would be really embarrassing if they, find, they had to tell their kids that they got fired. They'll have uncertainty about their future. That's another one. Well, they, they'll wonder, will they get a job that they like? Well, what would their commute be like? What if people they work with are jerks? What if they aren't, the new company is not as accommodating with my schedule or what it, whatever it is? And third, there's the unknown. And people just don't like feeling like they're at the mercy of the unknown. They do not like stepping into the unknown because it's scary. And finding a new job, at least one that you're confident you're going to like, is a hassle, and people like easy. They do not like a hassle. So I could go on and on and on, but we don't have time today. My point is, even when it comes to the most dire consequence we have to compel somebody to comply, improve, or change, they don't want to get fired because of how it impacts them, not because they care about what I think or what I want period. So in order to compel them to want to act in a different way, I need to speak to what motivates them. 
And how do I figure out what motivates them? Well, if you listened last week, you know we're talking about um, asking the question why. Five whys to be exact. So before we get too far in, I want to remind you, this is absolutely not something you should try on your spouse or significant other. And I'm not kidding about that. Do not try this at home. I really mean that. Uh, Not if you value your marriage anyway. (laughs) Also, I would recommend that you listen to last last week's episode and get pretty comfortable diagnosing process-related problems with this 5Y method well before you move on to behavioral issues like we're going to talk about this week. So when you have a need to figure out why an employee made a decision or a series of decisions a certain way, we need to understand what their internal drivers are. What compels them to make decisions this way? We have to understand what drives their decision-making process overall rather than just gaining understanding of this particular decision itself. I care way more about how the person decided to go to the job site unprepared than I care about them going um, to the job site unprepared this particular time. I want to understand how they make those decisions. And And we have to find out what really matters to them and what really compels them to act in a particular way. Uh, to do that, you know, we want to get beyond just a surface level understanding. We must ask more than just one or two why questions in most cases. So again, just kind of imagine uh, each of us protecting our deepest internal drivers under five to seven layers of a virtual onion. Each time we ask the question why, we remove a layer of the onion and we get a little closer to the core, the root, whatever ver- whatever uh, word you want to use there. Um, we get we get to the foundation. Uh, excuse me, we get to the core of the problem and each time we ask a why question, we set the foundation for the next why question and so on. So I'm going to give you two examples of conversations I've had that illustrate what I'm talking about. The first one only takes three whys, which was really shocking to me considering um, this person in this particular case was very much um, shy and people uh, relationship driven, much more than task driven. Usually those folks are way more guarded. Uh, this person just kind of blurted out an answer. It just blew me away. Uh, but they, so in any, any case, this one only took three whys. And in most cases, that would be, un, uh, it would take five. Uh, she just kind of jumped ahead of things and, and blurted out an answer. Um, the second example I'm going to give you kind of takes a turn, which required a bit, a bit of a reset. So it really took two sets of five why um, processes to get to the root. So uh, let's just start with the first one. The comment was, I like a harmonious environment. So the first obvious question to figure out what the real drivers for this person are, how they go about making decisions, what are the most important things to them as they consider making decisions. The first obvious question is, why do you like a harmonious environment? And the answer was, because I like everyone to get along. Okay, well, we haven't really gained anything yet, right? <laughs> Second layer sounds a lot like the first layer. So the next question was, well, why do you like everyone to get along? And the answer was, I don't like feeling, or because I don't like feeling bad, so I don't want anyone else to feel that way either. So the third question was, why don't you like feeling bad? And after a couple moments, again, this shocked me because it was so forthcoming. The answer was, because it reminds me when my parents fought when I was a kid. Now, this is an important point. We are all more or less driven by things that we experience when we are somewhere between, you know, two and five years old. The way we behave as adults is, is driven by those experiences we had when we were very, very young. So if I had to coach this person up, what kind of things do you think I would generally talk about? What kinds of, 
words would I use or phrases would I use if I wanted them to improve or if I wanted them to uh, follow a process more diligently or if I wanted them to, you know, um, hit certain benchmarks or whatever. I would talk about things like doing things the right way because when things are going well, it's more likely that everyone's going to get along. I would use the word harmony, right? I would talk about how our goals are for people to be happy and to get along and how following our processes achieves these goals. And when things are going well, again, people are more likely to be happy. So follow the process and that gets what you want, which is people to be happy. So a super simple example uh, without having you know, the ability to get into details on you know certain scenarios and like you know obviously wanting to protect people's identities and stuff like that, you know, to keep things fairly generic, but super simple example of the kinds of things I was talking about based on those answers. The next example is a little longer. It was a completely different personality type, much more process-driven than people-driven for sure. And it started with the statement, I just want everyone to follow the rules. Again, the obvious first question is, why do you like everyone to follow the rules? Answer, because rules are important. Now, notice the vagueness. This answer tells me absolutely nothing more than I already knew. So, again, that's, that's why it takes five times because sometimes people just have to exhaust. A, you're going to hear in, in a minute, you're going to hear an example of somebody just exhausting different ways of saying the same thing, and then they have to move on to the next level. And you're, you're kind of going to hear that here in a minute. But So, it's not unusual for the first, second, or even third layer to all sound like very similar. So, um, why do you like everyone to follow the rules? Because rules are important. All right. Why are rules important? Answer, because if there's no rules, there's no order. Okay. Well, why is order important to you? Answer, because order creates structure. All right. Question, and why is structure important to you? Answer, because when you have structure, you can make sure nothing important is missed. Question, why is not missing things important to you? Now, you may be listening to yourself right now and saying, that's a dumb question, Brian. Obviously, not missing things is important. The answer to this question is obvious. Now, that may be, but the point of this exercise is not to agree on whether or not it's important to be diligent. The point is to understand what really drives this person, which we're about to learn. So the answer to my question, why is not missing things important to you, was when things aren't missed, you can trust that they're being done right. So now we're on to something. The first few answers were just variations of the same idea, rules, structure, and order. But now we're really getting somewhere. The word trust is an important word. So my question was, do you find it easy to trust people to do a job the right way? Answer, no. Question, why not? Answer, because it's faster for me to just do it, and I've gotten accustomed to just doing things myself. Question, would you say that you prefer to do things yourself? Answer. Yeah, I guess so. Question, why do you think you prefer to do things yourself? Answer, to make sure things are done right. Question, why do you feel that the only way things can be done right is for you to do them yourself? Answer, because I've been led down too many times. I just trust myself more. Question, why do you trust yourself more? Answer, because I don't like being disappointed. And that was kind of said with... uh, a resignation and a relief that kind of happens at a certain point with this conversation where they just kind of like, they let their guard down a little bit. You can just tell that they're like, okay, it's the, the game is up. I, I, we're we're, <laughs> we're going to have to get to the core of this. 
So the answer, when I asked the question, why do you not, or why do you trust yourself more? The answer of, um, the answer was kind of like, because I just don't like being disappointed. And you could just hear the relief, um, the resignation, the kind of, I'm glad we're kind of, I'm glad we're past this point or to this point. And also like we, we were going to get here. So I might as well just give in. There's kind of maybe some of that too. Um, but you know, they just kind of, you, you'll kind of hear that relief. Um, anyhow, moving on question. Why don't you like being disappointed? Answer because getting disappointed sucks and it even hurts if you really trust someone. Well, that was a long road, but we finally got there. We finally got to um, what drives this person. And again, this is a task-oriented person talking about how things hurt when you get hurt, when you trust somebody, and they disappoint you. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty uh, important thing to pay attention to, I think. So um, in the future with this employee, if I had to coach them up, if I had to help, you know, help them understand the importance of something, what are the kinds of things you think I would talk about? Well, I would talk about trust. I would talk about not disappointing others because it sucks to disappoint people. I would talk about not letting people down who trust you. I would talk about structure, order, and rules. That we, we hit that, we hit three, you know, three of those things. And I would talk about doing things the right way. I'm just, these are all their words. And these are the things that matter to them. When I ask them just open-ended why questions, this is the path they go down. So it's important to remember that setting the table for these conversations to be, uh, to be effective, um, it's important to remember that setting the table for these conversations to be effective is the most important thing, probably. Again, if they're not honest and forthcoming, this is a complete waste of time. It's a massive waste of time, and uh, you might actually do more damage than good. So if the mood and the environment do not encourage honesty and being forthcoming, they're not going to be honest and forthcoming. And this is all just, again, it's all just a, a moot point. So you know, it's, it's important to pay attention to their tone, posture, body language. All those things matter tremendously. If you just sit back with your arms folded and an accusatory tone and fire off a series of, well, why'd you do this? And why'd you do that? Why is this important? Why does that matter? Those kinds of questions with that kind of tone and that kind of body language and that kind of environment, you can create a massive problem. And you may never regain their trust again. You might actually lose a, their trust to the point where you just can't get it back. So again, it's really important, I think, to learn on the, the five whys on process stuff and then graduate to five whys on behavioral stuff and learning how to, how to drive, you know, what drives people so you can motivate them. Um, because it's just, you're, you're going to get into emotional things where process related stuff is not really emotional so much. Uh, this can be, this can be volatile. You know, you're going to get questions or you're getting answers sometimes that you're, you're not going to be prepared for. I promise that. So, um, the most important thing to remember, like some of the many of the things I talk about, people do what they do because of how it impacts them, period. We like to think because we're people too, and we we like things that how we make decisions on how things impact us. We kind of operate as business owners and leaders and managers as if people really care about what I think or why I want things or how urgently I want it. They don't. They care about how it impacts them. If it's really urgent to the boss and I don't do it and I screw it up, there's consequences for that. Those are what I care about. I don't care that he's jumping up and down screaming about this thing that hasn't happened right for 25 days and he's still pissed about it. I don't, that's not what it is. It's the impact it has on me if I have to explain to my wife that I got fired. If my kids open the mail and they see that I got suspended for three days. <clears throat> Those are the things that matter to me if I'm the employee. So we just have to keep in mind, people do what they do because of how it impacts them, period. 
They're either chasing a feeling they like or avoiding a feeling they don't like. That's it. It really comes down to that in many cases. So in order to compel them to want to act in a different way, I need to speak to what motivates them. Being really adamant about something that I want because of how it impacts impacts me is generally a waste of time. It's much easier to spend a little bit of time. I mean, these conversations are 10-minute conversations. These are not, you know, three-hour conversations. But once you learn, like, what makes people tick, then, first of all, they're super appreciative that you get them. Like, that's what everybody wants in life, it seems like, is just to be understood and, and people to, to value them and appreciate them. Well, if you're speaking their language, you're showing that you value them and appreciate them. And if you can get, if you can demonstrate ability to have that flexibility and speak to different people differently based upon their needs, but get everybody heading in the same direction, like, what more could you want? What more could they want? Right? So, again, just imagine each of us having uh, this protection layer, this five to seven layers of protection around the things that really drive us. We don't generally walk around talking about things that happened when we were three and a half years old, and that's why I make decisions. In many cases, people don't even know this stuff themselves. They're going to learn this stuff as you go, just like you are in many cases. It's it's really interesting and um, I don't want to say fun, but uh, it's just interesting. I guess we'll just stick with that word. Um, anyhow, so we have this, this cord system that drives how we make decisions and we have this layers of stuff over it that like hides it and shields it and we just peel back that onion. So each time we ask a question why, we remove a layer of the onion and get the foundation for the next why question and so on. And again, perhaps the most important part is setting the tone and the environment up front to get honest answers and, and have them to be comfortable that you're not, this is not a gotcha thing. I'm not trying to snare you in something and I'm going to hold against you and use, you, use against you later. I genuinely want to understand what makes you tick so we can all be better. Like, that's it. I genuinely want to know how to speak to you in a way that will, will resonate with you. I want to speak to you in a way that's going to um, help you move forward with the team and move in the direction while heading, not say something that is either not going to resonate or even worse, like might really piss this person off. That's the last thing I want to do. They don't want that. So uh, I've not ever had an employee go through this experience where they were pissed about later or, re- or regretted it. Not one time. It's certainly true that there are times where these are not comfortable conversations. And if you get my book, there's examples in there that are a little uncomfortable. But at the end, it was fantastic. Um, it, it, it's just, it happens sometimes. So we got to be really careful about setting the environment so that it's a positive experience for everybody, not a negative experience. And they got to be honest. Again, I can't stress that enough. If they lie, it's just, you might as well not even do it. Um, so that's it for this week. We're talking about the five whys on behavioral stuff. Um, real quick, I am really excited about this webinar. I got coming up on March 29th, noon Pacific. I know the number one problem that people have right now for a lot of folks is hiring, can't get things hired. I promise you this is going to change how you do it, how you write your ads, how you look at ads, how you how you approach everything that has to do with hiring. I promise it's going to change after you go through this webinar. Um, and the thing that I, this, this autofill um, job post creator thing, it's awesome. I mean, it literally, you, you can write an ad that is super compelling and super awesome in, uh, you know, three minutes. It's fantastic. So uh, if nothing else, just come for that. Uh, anyhow, again, that's March 29th at noon. Uh, I really hope you guys can make it to that. Freehiringwebinar.com is where you can sign up for that thing, and uh, it's going to be fantastic. So anyhow, that's it for this week, and I will see you all next week. Mm-hmm.